Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily, your daily dose of Premier League news and action. My name's Ant McGinley. I'm in the hot seat today and joining me to look through all the stories that have broken in the last 24 hours and what they could mean for the Premier League and your club are two die-hard football fans. One of which is not having a good season, but... In fact, actually, you're both not having a good season, really, let's be honest. But things are looking up in the north of England, from which I've just returned. I was actually in Newcastle on the day that Eddie Howe was confirmed as the new manager. So I'm expecting Marley to be full of joy. Marley Anderson, hello. Hello. Uh, how many middle-aged men with tea towels wrapped around their heads did you see in Newcastle? Because <laughs> I think quite a few when I went up on the takeover weekend, so... Yeah, it was kind of a uh, kind of a strange atmosphere, but a good one nonetheless. Yeah, well, I, I was actually at a party on Monday. Went out on Tuesday evening and didn't see quite as many as I thought. So maybe they're saving it all uh, for for the next home game. And uh, speaking of home games, actually, maybe let's not speak of home games because they've not been going well at Old Trafford. And somebody that knows very well about that is Manchester United supporter Joel Tudor. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> And let's just leave that one there. Um, <laughs> let's talk about a Liverpool legend first, shall we? Uh, Stevie G played at Liverpool his old career and then started his management career very successfully up north of the border with Rangers. And he has been identified as the main man to replace Dean Smith at Aston Villa. All the stories linking him, it looks like uh, they're going to go in big for him. The question is, is this the right fit for Stevie G, is it the right fit for Aston Villa? And is this going to be a very difficult first job for him, considering where Aston Villa are at the moment? And would you suggest perhaps that Mr. Gerrard might be better off uh, waiting for a year or two uh, for Mr. Klopp to move on to Pastures New and then take his dream return to Anfield? Marley, let's start with you on this one. I'm glad you started with me because uh, it's literally just being announced as we record this that he's he's been appointed the Villa coach. 
Um, wow. So, yeah, so that's just literally broken now. Um, as I'm looking at a picture of him in the uh, holding up the Aston Villa shirt. So it's all done. It's gone through. Um, well, thank you very much for tuning into the show. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we discussed this a little bit um, on, was it Tuesday's podcast? It wasn't it, Joel? Um, and we were talking yeah. about, you know, would he be better? Like, I thought he was always... I think the the big um, asterisk is he's always going to go to Liverpool at some point. Um, so what's the point in in getting him at any other club than Liverpool? Um, Joel thought it was a good stepping stone. Um, I I can see it both ways. I can see it being a, a stepping stone. However, one thing I've been thinking about is um, when he was when he was being linked with that Newcastle job about two weeks ago. It was he was asked about it um, after a Rangers game. And he said, "Like I'm, I'm happy here. Why, why would I move? I'm, I'm really happy here." So I was asking myself, "What's changed? Like, why, why, why was Newcastle a no, and why was Villa um, uh, a yes?" And I don't know whether I'm reaching with this. Maybe you two can help me. But I think that the long-term goals of the two clubs he had a choice between are very different, because I think Liverpool. Um, sorry, I think Newcastle are their long-term goal is to challenge the likes of Liverpool and get to the Champions League and get to the Europa League and get to, um, you know, trying to win a title and becoming a genuine rival at the top of the league. I think Villa's outlook is less than that. Villa's outlook is top ten, um, and if Gerard gets top ten and the Liverpool job ever becomes available, it's much easier to leave for a club that's never been your rivals than um, than it has if you have built a club to rival your old boyhood club that everyone knows Ooh. you love. So I don't know if there's any any um, truth in that, but for me, that logically, that, that makes sense. Um, I don't know whether I'm just overestimating how good Newcastle are ever going to be one day, but it, that, that checks out for me. But do you think it could be possibly that he's just a regular listener to this show and he's listened to you, so he's thought, if I'm going to be like that at Newcastle. <laughs> uh, Joel, I mean, what, what 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 do you think about that? I mean, that, that seems to me, I, I, that doesn't sit well with me. I think, you know, um, obviously for, for all that he achieved at Liverpool, he didn't end his career as a player with a vast amount of silverware. He's obviously had success relatively quickly at Rangers and hopefully you know we wish him well at Aston Villa but I I don't get the feeling he he wants to go and be average I I get the feeling that he really wants to go and be successful no I agree with that I think I think Marley's reaching just a little bit (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's more so just the fact that I think to be fair it's a good point because let's say he did go to Newcastle and he did end up kind of quickening his route to let's say challenging the top four or you know making Newcastle kind of a a typical top six side surely that would kind of expedite his route to Liverpool because regardless of if he starts challenging which you know is still an absolute pipe dream because you don't know how he's going to kind of react to the Premier League as a manager I think regardless of how well he does at a club Liverpool's always going to have that kind of pull for him where no matter how well he's doing at a team he'll always go um, but I feel as though when you look at, for example, Newcastle and Villa, the two different op- like two different options that he was getting, 
Villa are kind of two seasons ahead of Newcastle in terms of their development, I would say. Just because when you look at their first 11, I mean, it, it, let, let's not forget last season they finished 11th and it was a pretty convincing finish to that to that stage. The only difference now is that they haven't got Grealish and they've got major defensive problems at the moment, which probably is due to lack of form, in all honesty. I don't feel like you can lose all of that ability within three months of the season ending. Um, but I think it's just the perfect stepping stone for him just in terms of the fact that he's going to get so much backing and he doesn't need to do as much of a kind of restructure and reshape that he would do in Newcastle because I think Eddie Howe at Newcastle's got a major job on his hands to really transition that squad from a kind of relegation side to one that, that the Newcastle owners hope to be, you know, kind of challenging for top eight, top six and inevitably like top four. But with Gerard, you know, He's going to get backed massively. The owners have spent over two hundred million in the last two summers combined, um, and at the moment, the first eleven is completely hampered with injuries. So, I feel as though it's a team that he can mould to really quickly. He doesn't have a huge job straight away to take out, you know, half the side and re-sign so many different plays in so many different positions because they've got a really good quality side. They've made some massive uh, signings in the summer. They've got some English England internationals in the squad as well. So I think it's ready-made for him, to be honest. And he walks into a squad that's near, not finished, but it's more closer to the completed article than Newcastle are, put it that way. And I think so it's he's a, took the easier maybe job. Maybe a then. safety option. Yeah, I was going to say, I was thinking maybe it is a bit of a safety option because in, in Scotland, he's in a bit of a safe haven, isn't it? You know, Rangers and Celtic are always going to be competing with one another. If he goes to Newcastle and does an absolutely rubbish job because their squad isn't incredible and he goes down, for example... How do you think that's going to affect his chances of that Liverpool job inevitably? Because for me, it kind of puts a dent in his armour, which is pretty sparkling at the moment after, on the back of winning the uh, Scottish Premier League. I mean, if you're talking about safe bets, I mean, surely then if he wants to play it safe, and w- with all respect and fully aware of whenever you say that, it means you have no respect uh, to, to Scotland. Uh, it, it's a much easier task in in that respect I mean I'm just looking at his win ratio now at Rangers and it's kind of at the Pep Guardiola level because he's on 60 65% is 64.77% uh, just shy of 200 games uh, for Rangers and also as well let me put this to uh, well both of you really because you know you're both at clubs where it's fair to say there's been disagreements between uh, the fan base and the the people running the club. Obviously, Gerard is very associated with Liverpool. Uh, his managerial career is entirely within the Scottish League. How is this going to go down with Aston Villa fans, considering how close the connections were between Dean Smith and Villa? So just purely from the, the heart and the fan base... How do you think this is going to sit with them, Mali? Uh, I don't know, in, in all honesty. Um, I feel like there was different... You know, there, there was a few options out there. Um, Fonseca was knocking around. Lucien Favre as well. There's the, you know, the likes that have both been linked with, with other jobs recently as well. Um, there was other candidates out there that the fans were, were talking about. Um, I've seen a, a few... You know, saying Favre would be a good choice. Do, do they need a bit of experience um, now? Gerard is is a gamble. Like you can't you can't uh, describe him as anything else. Even though he's done done all right and, and done well at Rangers, um, 
but has he? You know, there's there's no there's never any guarantees about coming into the Premier League, and Villa are probably. I don't know if they're a bigger club than Rangers, but they're, uh, they're, there's a different set of pressures on them um, and things like that. So, can he can he win over the respect of the of the dressing room? It seems like a decent squad in terms of like there doesn't seem to be many sort of divas or, or people that might oppose him a little bit, um, and he's got a base to work on. So, I think it's just a case of, uh, of of getting a couple of wins and and the fans will be on board. It'll be kind of as simple as that because. From from all that we've learned in the last two years or three years, he's uh, he's, he's an impressive young coach. So, if he has the opportunity to do well, then then I think Villa fans should back him. Um, it'd just be interesting to see what it's like when Villa play Liverpool at Anfield because uh, his uh, it'll be one of those sort of strange atmospheres. Yeah, the, I mean the the obvious issue there is that he's not gonna like. I mean, he's got to wait at least. How many weeks are we away from January now? Seven or eight weeks before he'll be able to like add any players to that squad. So he's going to have exactly the same playing staff for the next 10 games or so that Dean Smith has had. Uh, what do you think the first thing that Steven Gerrard needs to do when he gets there, Joel? He needs to tell the physios to get the act up a little bit because they're <laughs> losing about half of the first team at the moment. Um, I mean, yeah, you've got. To, uh, this is why I have a bit of sympathy for Dean Smith, just because he was losing majority of his first eleven um, for the last month or so. Like Danny Ings was in and out of the side. Tyrone Mings was, I don't know if he was benched um, due to his form. And uh, obviously, Buendia was coming in and out, and the new signing Leon Bailey's been injured, so he's had to make do with what he's had and it's not been his preference so for Gerard, I don't feel like there's a lot that needs to be done except for shoring up that defence I, I don't feel as though he's going to be counting the days until the transfer market because like I said they have a pretty quality squad they finished 11th last year and of course bar Jack Grealish they made some not stupid signings they were pretty smart signings where they went for players who you know are in their respective previous clubs, they were doing they were reaching a really high level. Obviously, Leon Bailey was a highly regarded player in uh, Leverkusen. Danny Ings scored what like fifteen twenty Premier League goals last year. They were smart signings, and I just feel as though they've just been really unlucky at the moment with the amount of injuries that they've had. And that's why I feel as though Gerard walks into a club and a team that is pretty much future proof in terms of. Once he gets a fully fit side, I don't think he has that many problems. There's not many gaps to fill. Of course, he'll want to make the team his own, which is a given. But I don't feel as though there's a huge amount that needs to be changed, except for the coaching and the defence, which has gone to absolute pot in this last well, since the start of the season, really. Um, and I feel as though the club do need that kind of lift, that new manager bounce, which every single new manager seems to give the club and the fans and the team as soon as they come in. It is, like Marley said, it is a massive risk. Don't get it twisted because I think I've seen a lot of Villa fans kind of complain to say, well, you know, he's won a Scottish Premier League, but I mean, so have many pretty bang average managers. So you kind of have to look at it, well, maybe they go, maybe his reputation precedes him a little bit and he's got the job obviously based on his connections and that kind of thing. And I'm sure Villa fans may well have wanted you know, one of these top European managers who have done it season on season in the top European leagues. But it could be a gamble that really, really pays off up to a point because if it does pay off, he's not going to be there for a long time. Um, 
so I think for right now it's the right move for Gerard. I think Gerard needs Villa more than Villa need him, but I think right now going forward, I think it'll they'll have a pretty good season going forward. It's more so just the injuries that are a concern at the moment. All this conversation is actually making me think that maybe Marley got it right at the very beginning when we opened this conversation. I mean, if you look at the the league table, the form table, Villa have the worst record over the last five, five straight defeats, even worse um, than Norwich and Newcastle over the last five games. Uh, so then that leads me to the question, and uh, we'll, we'll just leave it here before we move on. What is going to be satisfactory for the management there? What is going to be enough to convince them to that this is the right move and keep them going? Is it going to be simply staying up? I mean, as, as, as dire as the form has been, we are still very early in the season. And though they are, are joint 16th slash 17th, uh, just ahead on goal difference, um, they're actually only seven points away from European places. So, you know, there's still time for things to be turned around. From the boardroom version of these things, obviously it's a gamble. From the fan base, what is going to be acceptable? Is it going to be staying up? Is it going to be a mid-table finish? Is it going to be putting together a squad and a run and a, a, a feeling around the club that they're moving in the right direction, they're moving up and possibly getting back to that place where you know they were winning and competing for trophies? Uh, to be honest, I, I think they're at a point, Aston Villa, where they can afford to take this gamble. Um, in terms of, like Dean Smith did, did the hard work. He did the heavy lifting. He came in when they were 15th in the championship, took over from Steve Bruce, um, which is, you know, kind of like walking into a house when it's on fire and trying to save your, your most valuable possessions. Um, so he, he, and he got, I think they won 10 in a row. We got them promoted. He got them to the Premier League. He kept them there. Um, he, he he gives someone a backhander to not turn the uh, goal line technology on and got got Bournemouth relegated a couple of years ago as well. Um, and then here we are. So, you know, Villa spent a lot of money, as Joel said, signed some really good players. Um, they've just been unlucky with injuries. And I almost think, like, they're at a point where they can take this gamble because um, when when they've lost Jack Grealish... And Dean Smith was trying to find another way to play without Grealish. Is it not perfect to have a new manager who never had Grealish in the first place? He never had Villa. He never he never managed a Villa with Grealish. So it's harder for him to go, oh God, in that situation, we, we, we usually give it to Grealish, but now I've got to find a, a different way to do things. Because I think sometimes in, that, in Dean Smith's games... You know, he changed the system because he didn't have Grealish, and it was easy. He had two strikers instead. One of the one of the parts of the hundred million they got for Grealish was signing Danny Ings, who's a centre forward alongside Watkins. So therefore, he played a five-three-two to get them both in the same team when he had a couple of injuries. So that was always something. They were always sort of changing the team to try and cope without Grealish. So having a fresh manager who never had him is almost like. It's almost like a, a cleanse, a, a nice little uh, new start. So we'll have to see what Gerard can do because you know the, obviously the the scrutiny on him is going to be huge as a as an ex player and relatively inexperienced manager. Um, the the pressure on him is going to be quite big, and um, it's to the point where Villa are going to want a top ten finish minimum this season, um, and then next year they're going to want to push for the top eight and to get into some sort of European competition, whether that's the the little uh, 
charity league or the Europa League or the Champions League, whatever it may be, that's their ambition because they're spending that kind of money, they're building that kind of squad, um, and that is what Gerard's ultimately got to deliver. I mean, I think it's safe to say it's definitely not boring Grand Villa Park these days when you look at what they've been through over the last couple of seasons. Uh, most recently, nearly going down, staying up, doing very well, holding on to the best player, losing their 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 best player, their captain, uh, spending a lot of money, bringing all that talent in, and there where we're at. Um, do you think it's enjoyable being a, a Villa fan right now? Do, do you think that you know they're going to be feeling um, confident that this is you know a new start in the right direction, Joel? I think it's quite bittersweet for them, judging from the reaction, just because, like Marley said, Dean Smith's done really, really good work at Villa, getting them from a kind of wilderness in the championship with no direction to ultimately making them, like last season, they were one of the most impressive sides in the league for me. Mm. Um, And, you know, Marley does raise a good point as well, that it's almost like, to be fair, when you look at the problems this year, it isn't just to do with Grealish because going forward, they haven't been too bad. They, you know, Danny Ings in his first games, he did settle in quite well. Uh, same with you know Watkins, who's been there a couple of years now. And I think it's just more been a case of the fact that they're leaking so many goals, which wasn't really an issue last year. So that's why I feel as though, one, yeah, it's a really good uh, starting point going forward that Gerard is working from a clean slate where he doesn't need to remember the times of his talisman getting him out of the rubbish every single game or kind of having a style of play which constantly revolves around giving it to that left-hand side. Um, but the defence is the main issue, and I think, well, obviously, Gerard had an incredible defensive record with Rangers, but then again, so would I with Rangers, so, you know, <laughs> you've, got, <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to take the good with the bad with that one. And I think it's, it's a massive risk, but then again, I think any foreign manager coming in to the Premier League for the first time is always going to be a risk as well, really. I mean, it's never a guarantee, like when you had like Claude Puel, who took over from Claudio Ranieri and it didn't work at all. And obviously now they've got Brendan Rodgers, who's really taken them to another level. And he did a stint in the Scottish League as well. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, it's always a benefit having a manager who's coming on the back of you know, making a, a team champions. And it'll never be a bad thing. And I think it's the perfect stepping stone and, for me, what constitutes the success for them this season is the fact that you have to also have perspective that, like you said, and it's November. And with two wins on the bounce, it takes you from 15th to 7th. And suddenly the whole landscape changes. So we're at a stage of the season where it's a good time to be changing just because there's so many games to play, so many points to be won. And um, the season can look a lot different on the back of a really nice run. Well, um, if anybody at Ibrox is listening and wants to shore up the defence for the rest of the season, I am acting as Joel's agent. Uh, So (laughs) please get in touch with us here at the Football Social Daily. We're going to leave that there. And that's it for part one. We're going to come back in a moment and we will be talking both about Gerald's former club and a possible link uh, between uh, somebody there and Marley's club. Uh, But first of all, we're going to be talking about sick notes and we'll do that next. Football Social Daily from the Sports Social Network. Welcome back to the Football Social Daily. 
My name's Ant. I am joined by Molly Anderson and Joel Tudor, and we're talking about all things Premier League, although, of course, we are at that point of the season, which comes every now and then. Uh, for the last time uh, of this calendar year, an international break, and uh, Declan Rice has become the latest sick note for Gareth Southgate's squad. Uh, he's pulled out due to illness. And I was thinking about this. Obviously, we've got the, the two games uh, up this weekend. It's Andorra, San Marino. Uh, so, first of all, is that a worry? Uh, will the team struggle a little without the bigger names, even though they're just up against minnows on the world stage and only need, um, you know, they don't need two wins to get through? Uh also, it does pose the question, do the players themselves only really want to play in those big, attractive internationals? Because, I, I don't know about you guys, but if I'd been picked, um, I would be like Bert Trotman, and I'd still play even if I had a broken neck. I'd be there <laughs> at camp, on crutches, uh, with the neck brace on. Um, so there's, there's, I mean, maybe I'm overanalyzing here, uh, but there's a, there's a lot to look at. So Joel, first of all, um, obviously we, we've seen quite a few players pull out of this squad. Uh, little reality check here. Uh, is there anything to worry about? Because we have seen, you know, there's a lot of depth in that squad, but when we've put out for England, what you might call the B team, they, they haven't exactly sort of been putting the goals away and uh, tearing things up. They've got the results, um, but it's not been one-sided. Yeah, I don't think it's time to panic at all, to be honest. With a little perspective, just looking at the table now, the only danger that England really have is finishing second in the group, which for the World Cup stage is uh, when they actually draw the teams is not going to be a, a good scenario, put it that way. Um, but, I mean, you've got Albania, which are probably the biggest threat at the moment. They're five points off England with 15 points. They're in third. Uh, England on top with 20 points and Poland just below them with 17. So, obviously, even a draw tonight would kind of top off the league because San Marino are pretty much a guarantee, aren't they? They're going to get at least five. You failed if you've not scored at least five against them. Um, so, tonight, I don't feel as though there's that many worries just because... When you think no, back, because the game's tomorrow. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I mean, I was just testing to make sure you're both still there. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, when you look at, for example, in the in the Euros, the big question around Southgate was how do you manage all this depth? How are you going to use all of this talent to get into the side? And now he's got a good opportunity to keep experimenting with all the talent that he actually has, because in the in the summer it was like he just he can't, he set it on he set he. he he, um, he decided which 11 he wanted, but he was constantly thinking, OK, well, maybe could Sancho come in there? Does Rashford fit in there? But now he's kind of, he's got a scenario where he's he's been forced into this to kind of use, for example, Bellingham alongside potentially Phillips or Henderson. Um, so, you know, Rice is a great player. He's probably having the season of his life right now. But there is so much depth in that England squad that it shouldn't be a concern at all. And I think... It's just another chance he's got to experiment with such a huge, young and talented squad and potentially it might end up changing his mind on a couple of positions, but we know he has his favourites, so we'll leave it at that. <laughs> do, do you think there's there's a concern, Marley, that some players are just going, ah, well, they, 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 they don't need me for this one. I can take it easy. I can rest and concentrate on my on my club form. 
yeah, I I do think there's something in that. Um, and can can you blame them? Um, almost, I I almost get where they're coming from with that because it's you know we we can't, we don't have to get sick of international football, don't we? And when when it's match day nine and ten of ten, and you're going, you've got Albania at home, which you know they they're not great, but you you know you beat them nine times out of ten. And then San Marino, who you beat eleven times out of ten, is uh, is not. It doesn't whet your appetite massively when you've got twenty England caps already, and you've been to the Euros, and you've been possibly to a World Cup, and and what have you. It's great for like Smith Rowe. He'll come in dead excited and all buzzing that he's going to get his first England cap possibly. But when you're Declan Rice, you're thinking, "Oof, I've got a bit of a sniffle," and I don't think England need a defensive midfielder against Albania or. Uh, or San Marino, you know, it's not, it's not a, a breaker. It's not going to completely break your, uh, your, your whole balance of your squad, really, because anyone could play there. You could probably play Harry Kane there, and he'd be, he'd be all right. And you know, England to keep a clean sheet. But I do understand it from a point. It is kind of a little bit annoying when you think of it from a traditional sense of an England cap is what you work towards as mm. a player, and and uh, it's sort of like the pinnacle of, of football for many players, and it has been over the years anyway. So, But now, you know, you've, you've come off the back of a... If, I mean, how many games has Rice played this month? Uh, in the last month, probably five or six games in you know, the Europa League on a, on a Thursday, and then the, the weekend games as well. You're almost thinking, I could, I could really use this, this, you know, twelve or fourteen days rest because that is going to help me recharge for this Christmas period coming up. And I think if this was, you know, if if England were level with points at, at the top of the table with Poland and and Hungary or someone like that, and they were playing Poland and Hungary, I don't think he'd have got that, this illness. Um, I think he would have been able to to suck it up and and to get get himself on the pitch. So. It's uh, it's a tough balance, really. You mentioned the excitement of Emil Smith Rowe. I don't know if you saw. There was a great uh, quote from an interview where he talked about how he got the phone call to say that he'd been called up, and he was so excited he ran down the stairs to tell his mum, which I imagine would have sent shivers <laughs> of fear down Southgate's spine in case he fell down those stairs and injured himself. Um, just <laughs> just in terms of the the players that have uh, pulled out the squad, uh, Mason Mount. Uh, might make it. He's had some wisdom teeth out, I believe, which is very painful. And uh, oh, have you seen the video of that? <laughs> no. What? There's a video of him having them out. No, there's a video of him on the painkillers in the taxi home. Uh, go on this. If you haven't seen it, go on the sport social uh, Twitter feed, Facebook feed. It's on there. It's hilarious. He's just talking absolute gibberish and, and can't even can't even string a sentence together. And Marley, for those those listening who have never gone on the social feed, uh, what is the uh, Twitter account? What's the best way for other people to find it? Uh, then what are you doing if you've never been on it? It's uh, at the sport social on Twitter, and uh, just search sport social or sport social official. Um, so it's Sport Social on Facebook and Sport Social Official on Instagram. So it's all up there for you, ready and waiting. And at the Sport Social on Twitter as well. Yeah. Uh, so you can see that video. I imagine he looks a little bit like Lois from Family Guy um, with all the swelling <laughs> that kind of happens. That's generous. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, uh, Luke Shaw with concussion, he's probably not going to gonna make the team as well. Uh, uh, James Ward-Prowse is concussion. out. Concussion. 
Yeah. Has he actually got a concussion? It was concussion what, from, from spin, the derby. Spinning his head too quick as <laughs> Phil Foden ran past him at the weekend. I'll let you take that one, Joel. Hey, we don't talk about that here. Um, uh, Marcus Rashford missing it for uh, reasons we'll talk about in in, in part three. Um, but the, the thing is, I, I, I know what Marley's saying there about uh, obviously, you know, not being up for it and having a lot of games going on. But when you look at careers, when you look at the likes of uh, Harry Kane or players that have retired, like Al- your Alan Shearer's, your Ian Wrights, uh, they don't look back on their goal record and go, oh, well, it was only a goal against Albania. You know, they go, you know, I had this many caps, I scored this many goals. And, you know, one of the most celebrated England goals were against relative minnows, Greece, by David Beckham. So, um, I mean, do you feel the same way as me on this, Joel? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, I see what Marley's saying, but I, I'm still very much like we should really, I know it's only game nine and game it's game nine, game 10. It's been a long international season. We're missing the Premier League. But, you know, you have to be professional about this. You have to go out there. And let's remember as well, in some of our lifetimes, you know, England have been shocked and surprised in some of these games. Yeah, I think now more than ever, players are starting to be mindful of the bodies a bit more in terms of not overplaying because I think when they when you look back at all of the I think the biggest one that comes to mind is Wayne Rooney um, where he truly loved playing for England he pushed his body every single summer to try and make it um, especially that season where he broke his metatarsals and he came back way too soon I think it was for the uh, 2006 World Cup and he mm. ended up just seemingly burned not burning out after it but he got rushed back and maybe did more damage than he realized coming back too soon and i feel like when players look at his career which ended around you know 31 32 which probably should have been way longer when you look at some of how how good of a, a level he was and when you look at you know for example Zlatan Ibrahimovic who's still playing at the highest level at age 40 players are looking for longevity now and they see that I, I do wonder with this international break, let's say, for example, England were in Albania's position in f- uh, third place, 15 points. Do you guys want, Do you guys think that some of these England players would have absolutely broke their neck to make it to that squad and make sure that England make it I mean, it I'm out? nervous there. Let's not use that term just in case, especially with Smithrow running downstairs when he gets excited. <laughs> so no more injuries, please. <laughs> um, I mean, I, 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 think they, I think they would. I think they would. I mean, yes, I see what Marley's saying, and I think... You know they have commitments to um, their clubs, and obviously there was issues with the international travel with the COVID, which have been relaxed now. So I can see that being a little bit easier. But I, I think it would be a different scenario. But then that suggests because it's not that scenario, uh, that's possibly why it's not happening. Let's leave that there for now. Uh, those games taking place on uh, Friday night, which we'll look ahead to properly uh, tomorrow morning, and also uh, on Monday. Uh, we're going to park that there and then we're going to come back. Uh, we'll do a little quick chat about the Liverpool thing I said I was going to chat about and then about Marcus Rashford and Dominic Calvert-Lewin who's been doing some photography. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Hello, welcome back. Uh, part three of the Football Social Daily uh, this is Ant McGinley, Joel T- Tudor, and Mar- I've messed up your name. How do I mess that up? Joel Tudor and Marley wow. Anderson helping me out. 
<laughs> two syllables. Two syllables, really. <laughs> there you had one job. <laughs> yeah, this is what happens when you spend a couple of days in Newcastle. Um, so, speaking of Newcastle, there are links going around um, about the sporting director of Liverpool, who's going to, it's been announced he's leaving at the end of the season. Uh, and a lot of credit has been given to him for uh, some of the big signings they've had over the last couple of seasons and the training ground and a lot of the changes that's happened that led Liverpool to their most successful couple of years ever, really, uh, in the Premier League era, shall we say, um, with the Champions League and uh, the Premier League titles. Uh, the interesting thing about this is he's been linked to Newcastle. Now, I wonder if there's an element here of, because of what's happened at Newcastle and the money that's there, anytime anybody... It announces they're leaving or making a move or is available, they are going to be linked with Newcastle at some point. But also it made me think about the the, the other changes that we go. As fans, we often talk about, first and foremost, about the players on the pitch, the playing staff that you've got. But I think more than ever, the backroom staff, the coaching staff, um, the, the scouts are really important in terms of not just building a team to win us to, to to have a successful season, but to build a a team that can be successful season after season. So, Molly, do you think this is just a case of Newcastle have money? That's obviously where he's going. Or is this somebody that you're thinking? Oh, okay, this is a sign that we are really spending the money wisely and thinking about what we're going to be doing. Uh, I think it's a bit of both. If I'm if I'm totally honest, I think. Um... With, with with Newcastle, we need everything. We need everything in in terms of playing squad and other areas of the club. So we're not just getting linked with players. We're getting linked with directors of football and sporting directors and whatever you want to call it, scouts, first team coaches and stuff over the years. I mean, the only player we've, the only people we've signed in the last year or two is well, the biggest signing we've had is Graham Jones as a as a first team uh, coach like assistant manager to Steve Bruce so we've kind of got used to this uh, this stuff of being linked with with staff members rather than an an off pitch sort of personalities as well as on pitch uh, players and and what have you so um, this this thing with Michael Edwards his you know he's leaving Liverpool it's it's a weird decision on the base of it because Liverpool are obviously challenging for for everything that they're in um, but there has been rumours about him, about there not being that much money to spend at Liverpool. And when Michael Edwards is, it, it's his job to spend money. So if you're not getting any money, why would you stay at the club? Um, one place where somebody who likes to spend money and is in charge of spending money would thrive is when there's an absolute ton of money to spend. So the that's where the the links come from. Um, it's it it's. I don't think it's just paper talk. I think Newcastle will definitely be in there talking to him um, and, and seeing what he fancies because he's had a good record at, at, at uh, Liverpool. His scouting's gone well. Um, the players he's signed, the likes of Salah and Mane and Van Dijk and Alisson and Fabinho, obviously create the spine of that Liverpool team. Um, and the, the stuff he's done about selling players as well, he's got good fees for many... Uh, many of his of the fringe players at Liverpool, Dominic Solanke went for fifteen million, Rian Brewster went for twenty, um, which is baffling when you see him play football. Um, 
there's there's Jordan Ibe went for 15 million I think under his um, stewardship um, they're talking about 20 million for Origi when he goes and things like that and this is just like all a case for for what a good job Michael Edwards has done so if you are Newcastle you're looking at saying right who's who's the best guy we can get this guy's done it at the top level for a top top club so you know can we can we tempt him with this uh, this huge pot of money that we've got uh, and can he come in and work with Eddie Howe to build the club into a, a the next level of of club I'm just wondering if this is uh, if this is a sign of the times and it, football's now more about business and and money and you know can we be getting to the stage where this is going to be a mode in FIFA where you can, you know, the sporting director career because you get all the money and you get to choose the players. That's that's the the key point of, of football manager. And, and you know, really, when you get down to it, is this Joel? Do you think more dilation of what the traditional manager does? Because you know, we're, we're literally moving to this point now where you know, no longer the managers are no longer coaches, they're not so much involved in signings. It's becoming more and more split. Yeah, I think now more than ever, if you think back to maybe 10 years ago and you asked any fan, which sporting directors do you know of at any club or which directors do you know of at any club, they would not be able to name one. But now they've suddenly become their own brands. When you think, I could name so many, like Monkey, who um, was the Sevilla director who made all those incredible transfers, then went to Roma then you have Ocampos who was um, at Monaco who helped create that super team with Jardim there's so many now, they're all, they're almost becoming their own brand and as important as managers are now, um, where teams are constantly looking to poach each other's to get a similar taste of success um, but I think with this, with this kind of change I don't think it's a change that Liverpool need to be worried about. When you look at the person coming in, uh, Julian Ward, who was his assistant for the last five years, and he was heavily involved in the last two transfer windows. Um, so I'd, I feel like they're in good hands, but it's also a real, real negative just in terms of the fact that when you look at Liverpool in contrast to all of the best clubs in the league or the biggest clubs challenging for the title, they're probably the only big club that spend the least, or at least have the least net, uh, the yeah, the least net spend. They're on an absolute shoestring budget. If you can, contr- if you contrast to what they're actually winning and how successful they've been in the last five years under Klopp, so I would be worrying in terms of the fact that maybe in the next two to three years that front line is going to need a major overhaul in terms of you know maybe apart from probably Bar Salah who looks to still not even be in his prime yet. <laughs> he keeps going up a level after a level. I think Firmino's going to need to be changed quite soon. I think Mane in the next two to maybe two years is going to need to be shifted. And they're all going to be pivotal times for Liverpool because they're the ones who have literally raised the bar for the last five years in the league. So it could be a pretty defining moment considering the fact that Liverpool are renowned for not wanting to put their hand in the pocket too much unless they've got incomings coming in. I mean, that Coutinho money pretty much offset Van Dijk and Alisson's uh, transfers. It's not like they've put their hands in their pockets in the same way that City do or United do. It's very different. They operate in a very different way. And I feel like it probably is the case that if he feels lucky, maybe if he does go to Newcastle, he'll have such flexibility in terms of how much he's allowed to spend without having to constantly balance the books. 
that it would be attractive to any sporting director in the world, especially considering how much they'll probably offer him as well. Um, but yeah, for, for for Newcastle, it could be a huge gain because, like I said, when you think back to the last big takeover, which was Manchester City, the recruitment is absolutely everything. When they signed, you know, Yaya Torre when no one wanted him, David Silva when there was not much competition for him, uh, Aguero, you know, they paid more than anyone else, but I mean, he was super talented at the time and there was no reason for only them to be in for him. So Newcastle's main aim and main issue is recruitment and having someone like that leading that I think is probably more important than the manager. Well, you mentioned there several times, hands in pockets. And I'm glad you did that because uh, for the last part of the show, I'd like to talk about fashion. And I don't know if you've seen these uh, pictures of Dominic Calvert-Lewin for Arena Home magazine. Uh, And uh, he's wearing what at first glance appears to be a skirt, but he's actually flared shorts. And uh, those pictures around, and you know, he's been known to sort of daring fashion choices before. But the shorts, in particular, in this one, got me feeling rather nostalgic and reminded me of the days when teams used to play in those big, long, baggy Bermuda style board shorts. Uh, So, just for wrapping up the show today, I, I just put the question out to you which fashion would you like to see return to football or possibly appear? in football for the first time so would you like to see a throwback to the baggy shirts or maybe the skin tight shirts that Cameroon tried to introduce I think they only got one game in that or would you like to see us bring in a a fashion that we haven't seen before maybe like all outfield players uh, wearing baseball caps Marley (laughs) Uh, I think we should have uh, them that, that, that thing you always had in the summer at school shirts versus skins (laughs) <laughs> and we could just like paint, you know, like paint the name on the back. So you'd have like Dummit number three painted on, on her back. And then when it gets sweaty, like the referee is like, well, who are you? I don't know your number. What number did you have on your back? Because it's all sweated off now. You have Fun 88 tattooed on his on his stomach and stuff like that. So <laughs> take it I mean, back. It... Take take it back to when football was good. And when instead of conceding, like if you if your team concedes a goal, a goal, you all get a. Uh, Red ass, and you all get a ball slammed at your backside from from one of the opposition <laughs> players. <laughs> Let's go full rogue. Forget this. Forget this. Thirty ninth game in Saudi Arabia or Qatar or whatever. Let's just have a game of red ass on the local park. A <laughs> uh, 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 worrying insight into Mali's childhood there. Although potentially, potentially a solution to the uh, charity Christmas game we were talking about on yesterday's show about the uh, Premier League. Uh, blocking the, uh, the the away shirt idea for the homeless. Uh, what fashion uh, would you like to introduce uh, back into I've football? I've got Jay? two. One is where the hell did the snoods go? Like how practical were they? I used to remember with like Tevez wearing them, where he used to look <laughs> like he had a thick scarf around his neck. All the Argentinian players used to wear it in December, and I don't even know why they got banned because they were super practical. Um, but that would be one for me because, honestly, I feel the cold so much in the winter. So I think for me, that's number one. But on the flip side, I would want to see, it's kind of not a fashion, but like a game, a 39th game, shall we say. I'd love to see a North versus South game where all the teams in the North, like kind of like, a, kind of like an <laughs> all-star 11, kind of how they do in the NBA, of the best players in the North clubs uh, against the South. And I, I'm going to put my life on the fact that the North would win. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Yeah, well, I, I think that I might be know. the perfect game for the uh, the skins versus the shirts because it would be all the Northern players, like the Newcastle fans, in the skins, and uh, well, like the Southern lot. I don't think Newcastle. I don't think anyone from Newcastle be involved in that game. <laughs> Depends when it happens. If it happens in five years, it'll just be us versus London. <laughs> uh, let's leave it there for today. Uh, I, I don't know what you're up for the rest of today, guys, but I'm going to go and watch the brand new Marcus Rashford TV ad because he had a very busy day. I don't know if you saw this, as well as picking up an MBE with his mum. He also appeared in the new Christmas ad for Aldi speaking to a carrot uh, that's what the rest of the day holds in store for me uh whatever you're up to thank you very much to joel tudor thank you guys see i can say your name and marley anderson who has even more syllables in his name i do yeah i hope uh, i hope luke shaw was hold, holding the carrot while concussed uh, in this aldi <laughs> advert i'll have to go and watch it and uh, find out what's going on with that <laughs> uh we're back uh, tomorrow with another daily uh, podcast episode where we'll be looking ahead in more detail uh, to that england international thank you very much for listening and if you haven't followed us already uh, please make sure that you do and leave us a review thanks very much Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.